This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. You know, my guest today strangely might fly under some people's radar, but boy, talk about someone who is worth finding the time to uh, listen to. Please welcome Gary Owen, who not only has movies like uh, The House Next Door, Right Along, Think Like a Man in College, but new special, Black Famous, on Showtime, Holy shit. I laughed my ass off. Oh, you saw it? Oh my hi. How you doing? Oh, 44. Yeah. <laughs> 44. <laughs> yeah. We still going through it. So we'll Really? It's not over with yet. But I love the fact that you kept calling back to the <laughs> to the hand oh, signal of 44. God, that made me giggle. Um, so you're from Cincinnati. How born and raised. Born yeah. and raised. My son went to school in outside of Columbus. Really? He went to Ohio. He was at Ohio Wesleyan. Now he's at Berkeley. Oh, okay. I know Delaware, wow. Ohio well. That's crazy. That's just like one of them places you just see on the uh, side of the highway. Or you read about in the paper every now and then something will happen. But you don't really know where it's at. Delaware, no. So yeah. you got your start. And I, I just... This whole thing is 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 interesting to me. When you earned BET's title of funniest black comedian in San Diego in '97, was this before color TV? I don't know. I'm just asking because well, you're clearly white. Oh yeah, I'm pale. They do powder too. I got a shot. <laughs> so, <laughs> what gave you the guts to enter that? Well, I was in the Navy at the time. I was stationed in San Diego. And there was a hip hop station called Z90. So I'm literally driving on the highway. And I just started doing stand up like a couple months before that. And they said, we're looking for the funniest black comedian in San Diego. And that's the time before the internet really had hit and everybody had computers. So we still call in. I just called in, left my name. They said, come down to this place at this time on like Tuesday. That's going to be the first round. Showed up, got past the first round and then... Got to the finals and won it. Does it. Did anyone say you realize you're white? Yeah, well, they were shocked when I showed up a little bit, but there was there was a there was a Mexican guy in it too in the contest. So I think it was just kind of open. I don't know. They just said I just entered and and keep in mind it was San Diego. The competition wasn't super super steep. You brought up that yeah. you you were in the Navy, and if I've got this right, a master at arms. That's a cop. Okay. Okay. So that's what that is. I was going to say, what, what is it? So were you like on an aircraft carrier or anything like that? I was, well, the first two years I was in the honor guard. So we did like the parades for the inauguration, um, funerals at Arlington cemetery, things of that nature. Yeah, those are the guys you see, whenever you see the president you'll see all the, the guys with the, the rifles right here. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. So I, you know, I was there during the Clinton era so I never got to meet Bill Clinton, but I got glimpses of him as he walked by a bunch of times, but you couldn't say anything. And it was funny when you're in the honor guard, 
we get these jackets made up and it says U.S. Navy Presidential Honor Guard. And when you're 18 years old, that's how you meet girls because you wear the jacket to the mall and it starts a conversation. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah, 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 I'm cool with the president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Al Gore, yeah, yeah, we're good. <laughs> we're good. This is good. Um, so you were one of six siblings. Yeah. Okay. You grew up in a trailer. Mm-hmm. Was it at least a double wide? No, it wasn't a double wide, but we had a, what you call an extension. Okay. So our, we had a pullout. Our living room pulled out. Oh, like a pop-out. Like a pop-out. So instead of just a rectangle, it was almost like a. it went out a little bit, like it had a growth, the living room. <laughs> Were you always awesome. funny or was your whole family funny? I think my mom and dad are funny. I mean, they're not together or anything, but they were both funny. But did, I've always been funny. I always thought I was. Did, but were you the, the, of all the siblings, were you the one that always was making jokes or always kind of a smart ass? Because I was an only child and I like to take on multiple personalities. That's what I'm asking. Because let me tell you, my smart ass personality made the other ones laugh very hard. Oh. <laughs> I was, um, I was class clown in high school. Uh, most obnoxious in high school. Also prom king. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Prom king? Prom king too, yeah. How popular. Did, you were very popular. How did you end up? I'm always like, my son was like in the court. I was never even close to any of those things. Were you were that cool? Because most people that cool do not become comedians. Most well, comedians are tortured. How, yeah, well, this is how I went about it. So... One, I campaigned. Nobody ever campaigns. And then I actually did a campaign. And then I had never, I was a late bloomer as far as puberty goes. So I didn't have any like um, dirt with any girls at my high school. So what I would do is like use mind games with them. So I'd say, hey, you and your girls, because girls click up. I go, yo, just put me on court. Just put me on prom court, right? I go, come on. And I'd be like, I live in a trailer. This is all I got, come on. And then all the girls started to be like, yo, Tim, Tim screwed over Christine and Mike screwed over Kelly. Gary never screwed over anybody. And I got all the girls votes and rumor has it. It was a freaking landslide. Like, I, it wasn't even close, but I figured I got all the female votes. Cause I just, I did dirt. I go, remember what Mike did to Kelly? Remember that? <laughs> yeah. You can't vote for him. Yeah. I was angry too. What he did was wrong. Completely. Love that. I love that. Um, Because you are just innately funny. It's just the way your brain works. Were you funny when you were in the Navy? Because obviously being an honor guard, you're not allowed to laugh and nothing can be funny. Well, when you get that jacket I was telling about, you get a nickname. And my nickname was Smiley. Smiley. And I wish I still had it. It's somewhere because I, I, I was always smiling. And it, it got me in trouble in boot camp. My first day in boot camp, I'm 17 years old. It's 3.30 in the morning. You wake up to a garbage can getting thrown down, these drill instructors yelling at you. And I was the first one that got in trouble basically for smiling. I just, you know, I thought, oh, we're supposed to get along here. And then, and you know, I had to wipe it off a little bit. But I think my nature was always good, but you got to, it's harder for me to have a frown than it is to have a smile. So that was the hardest part, really, about being an honor guard. We just got to be like this <laughs> all the time, you know? 
I would be chewing on the inside. I feel like we're like channeling officer and a gentleman. I got nowhere else to go. Oh, I love that movie. I used to quote that all the time. Okay, Mayonnaise. That was the best. And who knew the guy from uh, CSI Miami was such a puss in that movie? Yeah. Middle, you just got to keep where that middle thing, the middle strap is, hit it really hard, like you're Heimlicking yourself, and shoot up. Watch your bubbles. Right. Oh my god, that's a great movie. That's one of my favorite movies you reference it. I, I always did because my mom worked in a factory, and every time I go see her, I'd be like, "Way to go, Paula! Way to go! Way to go, Paula!" <laughs> that's my part of the movie. Way to go, Paula! And I remember thinking. When I got the Navy, I go, God, if I can meet a chick that works at a factory, and I then, could just reenact that scene. <laughs> I got nowhere else to go. <laughs> I got uh, nothing else. <laughs> so, <laughs> audiences love you. The new special, I just have the notes here. Hold on. Um, hold on, wait. Your seventh special has I'm had so the conscious. highest rated for the year. Granted, it's only May. Well, no, mine debuted New Year's Eve, so I'm thinking that's 2021. That's what I'm going with. Oh, you're so you're gonna you're gonna post date. Yeah, because it started what like 11:55. My special came on at I think it came on at 9 p.m. New Year's Eve, West Coast time. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> not that I'm into <laughs> details. Um, I don't know. But audiences just are going bananas for the new special. I gotta ask this, and 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 I'll explain why. What's it like being the white guy backstage when your act is so black? Oh, you know, it's it's. I always say, like in stand up, you don't choose your audience; they choose you. For sure, I can't say that's the audience I'm. I want they they choose you and. It's interesting that my core fan base is, you know, black. I do have a lot of white fans too, but black. And I think I'm the only one that I go against the grain. So you got people like Gabriel Iglesias, who's Mexican and has a huge Mexican fan base. Sebastian, Italian, huge Italian fan base. Um, Russell Peters, huge Indian fan base. I'm the only one that my fan base is complete opposite of my skin color, how I was raised and everything. And it was just when I moved out to LA and you're chasing the dream, my first opportunities was on BET. I could get on TV. I said, I would have went on anything. Of course. If they would let me. So BET gave my first opportunity and it just so happened that most of the movies I've been in for some reason, reason have black lead actors. So it just, it just kept, I don't know, it just kept building that way and then just kind of took off. Cause it is, it, it was, it was fascinating for me to look at the audience shots in, in uh-huh. the special, because there were a lot of white faces who were crying laughing. Yeah. So that, that was it. What's your process? Like, my mom wrote everything down in the moment when she thought of it. We used to find scraps of paper. She would write stuff on napkins. Oh, really? Oh, my God. Matchbooks, inside of books. You cannot imagine. And, you know, she had the very famous card file. But stuff didn't always make it out of the bottom of her purse. Hmm. I mean, we had stuff written on more 
more airline cocktail, the little paper cocktail napkins. And she had scrawl. It was bad handwriting. Um, But what do you do with, what is your process? Like she would take all those raw jokes or ideas and then like a lot of comics work, always working, always on stage, always working out new material. What, what's your process? Because people don't realize to do a one hour special is another 14 to 15 months of working continuously on the road to get enough material for the next one. Yeah. I, I don't really write my jokes down. I never have. I'm on stage so much. So don't act like I'm going off the top of my head. But I'm on stage so much because I, I kind of work. I could work every weekend if I wanted to. Um, so they just it just kind of goes. And I'll now we got iPhones, so I'll put a word in my notes section. And that's all I need is a word. And I'm like, okay, I remember that bit right there. But I don't really write. And that's the thing about standards. Everybody's got their own process. I know right. people that write everything out. Where for that's always had a hard time doing like the Tonight Show or the late night talk shows because they ask you to submit your material written out beforehand. Right. And it was so odd to me because I was always like, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. And when you're used to doing an hour and you got to come down to five minutes, I always struggled with those late night talk show sets. Because I'd be like, I don't really know. A lot can happen. I mean, look between the time I booked this and now that we're actually doing it. I mean, Dave Chappelle just got rushed on stage. Okay. We have to talk about that. Yeah. Holy crap. How scary is it? Have you been on stage since the Will Smith slap? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got to cross your mind. Well, you know, I think, I think in our line of work, when you first start doing stand-up and people aren't paying to see you and you're just open mic and you're doing bars, that's when I expect things like that to happen. Like, you know, it's kind of a free-for-all when you're first starting out and drunk people that aren't paying to see you and don't know who you are. They almost feel entitled. Like I'm funding this guy. I don't know who he is or this girl. But the it's most, but at that point it's mostly hecklers. Yeah. But the bigger you get, that's the shocking part. And then they just came out that the guy, the guy that came after Dave had a, like uh, an obsession with him. He was like an aspiring rapper and he wrote a rap song about him and everything else. Like this was an obsessed fan. It's, um, Stan. Yeah, Stan. I don't think it's the norm. I don't think we have to be like, whoa, I'm scared to go on stage again. Uh, I just think our heads are going to be more on a swivel. Because I've had people come up on stage. There's a video, a guy in Atlanta came up and and I don't know what. he. Here's why he got mad. It was so weird. I was talking about my mom and I had said, yeah, we lived in an apartment. And he literally goes, I thought you were from a trailer park. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. We moved there when I was 10. I didn't, that's not the only place I ever lived. And I feel like I was explaining to him my childhood. And then he, like, he got upset. And I go, are you really pissed about that? I didn't grow up completely in a trailer park. I moved there when I was 10. And then I started talking about him, but I'm not mean spirited. It was in fun. And I guess he'd never been to a comedy show, but he tried to come on stage and they got him off really fast. And when they got him outside, they pat him down and he had a, he had a gun on him. But I don't think he was going to draw it on me or anything, but he just, I'm in Atlanta. I think it's a, you, you can carry a concealed weapon there. So I think he just, one of them guys probably always had a gun on him. Yeah. Well, good thing happened. he just didn't decide. Because I think about that with my mom and working in the clubs, and that's why I was talking about process. 
where the audience is right there. It's not the Hollywood Bowl where there's security, that you're on a stage working out new material and they can, the audience, the front row can reach out and touch you. Mm-hmm. I just know from my point of view, I'm like, this is really scary. It's really scary. And I, I've been having a problem when, and discussing a lot about the woke and the PC and how it's impacted comedy. And, you know, it, it's starting, I think, in a lot of ways to make a lot of comics start to self-censor, mm-hmm. which I think is the death of comedy. Awful. And, but now I think it's gone to this weird new level that you have to think, mm, is it, how do you stay in the moment when your head's on a swivel? Well, you got to realize like. And you're a big dude. I'm thinking of a short little Jewish lady. Yeah. But there's, you got to realize that every major city has a comedy club. Right. And even the other markets and they're booked every week. And you rarely hear about these things happening. It just seems like, do I, do I think the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing kind of opened the Pandora's box a little bit? Maybe, because I don't think that guy, I think that guy probably like, oh, if Will can do that to Chris in that setting, I, maybe I can go up and do this to Dave, you know? Maybe the light bulb went off because he was, he, I mean, you got to be crazy to do something like that. Yeah. And maybe that was a light bulb that went off. So I don't think it's the norm. Um, you know, there's videos you can you can go to YouTube and just look up hecklers or fans run on stage, and there's a there's a whole litany of it. But I, I still don't think it's normal because I've been doing this 24 years, and in 24 years, I think three times someone's actually come on the stage. Really? You know, never been, a, never got to the point where we're throwing punches or we're aggressive, but they felt so entitled that oh, I can come on stage. Right. Or, and it usually was first timers, people that never been to a comedy show before. Right. But anyway, it just, I could keep going on this. Um, how has the whole woke thing affected you? Because you're edgy. You go there. I'm edgy, but when people ask me this, I'm always like, if you go to stand up comedy clubs, everything's the same. It's the people that, they basically bootleg, they, they take a two, three minute bit that's a temporary thought that you're working something out on stage. Right. They post it on YouTube and then you got these people and it's usually not a lot, but they make a lot of noise. Right. And then we get, we get this whole snowball effect. And I'm going, my thing is the people that are upset, if, if they're upset at a joke I told off YouTube, you were never going to come see me anyways. Right. You were never going to pay money to see me. And I, I basically, I worry about, and I care to the people that spend their money to come see me at a live show. If you go see me at a live show and you spent your money and you tell me you're a fan and you send me a message that you didn't like something, I'll respond to that person. I'm not going to apologize, but I'll tell them where I'm coming from. But if you're just somebody on YouTube and you don't know who I am and you're going in off some small bit, you know, I had a, I had people come after me five six years ago because i have a special needs cousin and i talked about her in my act and they went off and i was like it's my cousin <laughs> I'm, I'm allowed to talk about my cousin and when i was talking about her i i wouldn't put her down i was talking about something that really happened and how she reacted and i was going like because my my basically my special needs cousin got a std oh my god he found out and everybody, it was like the big family 
thing. Like, can you believe it? Can you believe it? And I was like, she's fucking. <laughs> I was happy for her. I go, okay. Add a girl. Really dive into this. <laughs> I was like, okay, be good. <laughs> that was the gist of the joke. But they just heard me talking about a special needs person. And then, then, you know, they just got angry. And I'm going, why are you guys so upset? That to me, comedy has to be inclusive. And you got to be able to talk about everybody because that way you're saying, yeah, I'm not better than you. And I don't feel sorry for you. Like, if something happens to me, I lose a hand or anything like that. Yeah, initially, maybe not. But once the dust settles, you better go in on me. You right. better talk about my one hand. You know, if you're my friend. And, and that's a lot like my mom where nothing was off limits. I'm, I'm constantly being asked what would her response be and what she would be doing in this whole new culture. And my thought is always she would be, she will have, would have somehow twisted the whole thing like, oh, now I can't talk about this and then do eight jokes. Mm-hmm. How did, because again, you've been doing this for quite a while. Have you shifted how have you, I mean, everybody, every standup has had to just shift a little towards safety and, and safer topics. And, and again, like your special needs cousin, do you mm-hmm. find yourself doing that at all? A little bit. I mean, a little bit. Like with me having a huge black audience, I've always been told I'm allowed to say the N word. Oh, I and wouldn't. I'm going, you guys don't get it. I go, uh, if there's 5,000 people in the audience, and 4,999 say, yeah, you could say it. The one person that says I can't, that's who's going to make the post, and that's where everybody's going to go nuts. And I go, there's really no reason for me to say it. I've gone this far, and I've never said it. So why would, why would I go there now? But that, I get that with my fan base. Like, you're the one white guy. We, we let you say it. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm good. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. But thanks. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, so and it's. I think, I don't know why lately we just, people just want to be angry and they, they want to find a reason to be upset. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. So my brother, my brother passed away in 2015 of a heroin overdose. The week after he died, Saturday Night Live did a sketch that got, you know, a lot of people got upset with it, but they were talking about heroin. It was one of their commercials, like heroin keeps you going during the day and stuff. And people started DMing me and messing me like, aren't you upset? Aren't you gonna get on going on SNL? I go, they didn't know my brother. I go, and if I'm being honest, that's how we acted. They were accurate in their description of heroin addicts. I go, and if my brother was alive, he had a sense of humor like mine. I go, he'd be laughing at it. He's like, oh, they got me on that one. Yeah. I go, so people just wanted to be wanted me to be mad at something that I I know in this business. We should be comedians, especially, should be offensive proof. Like, nothing should offend us, really. True. And also, what people don't understand, I think there's such a deep level of sensitivity to comedians because they're very often you're making fun of or talking about things that are difficult topics. My Mm -hmm. mom got taken to task about making 9-11 jokes too early. And she was getting, you know, and she got a note backstage from someone saying, Thank you so much. That's the first time you've made, I, I've laughed since yeah. then. That, so her instincts were right. It's like, if we don't laugh at shit, we're gonna all going to die. It, it's, that's our job, too, is to make the uncomfortable comfortable. Like, I love, I love those moments when I see a comedian 
or even I do it. And instead of a laugh, you get, oh. And I think the only, the only one where it's like, okay, we're, we're going to let it slide is those Comedy Central roasts. Nowadays, it's like the roast lets you get away with everything. Right. So I'm like, thank God for those roasts. That's why I watch it. Because they just, they, <laughs> they take back that curtain and you can say whatever you want. And it's like, it's almost like you get a hall pass. Like, okay, since you're doing the roast, you're not allowed to be offended at these things because you know what you're walking into. Right. You know, right. I don't, stand up, I mean, that's, I don't know. I think a lot of people that are upset, they don't, they just don't go to live shows. They just, they get on their computer and they, they see a little bit and they want to be upset, but they're not going to pay to see us. Okay. Uh, tough topics. Your divorce. <laughs> yeah. um, so from what I understand, you were planning on not discussing it and she uh, apparently had a different idea. I, I wanted to keep it private until it was over. Okay. Right. Of course, as a stand-up, my job, eventually I will address it. Right. I was hoping we would have a quiet, almost, they're divorced type deal. Um, but. Joke was on you. TMZ and, you know, when she went down to LA and filed against me, I was like, whoa. And uh, I was like, okay, how can I address this? And if you notice in my special, um, I never say she did anything. I always say I read. Yes read this on the internet I was very careful with my words and I can't really talk about my divorce like I want to yet so it's final I get it we still got a lot of stuff riding on it so like I've already told Showtime like they're like you know we want to do another special and I said when the divorce is final give me a couple months hit the clubs and then I'll be ready and you know then I can openly talk about because there's so much that people don't know and it's not about wrong or right or she did this or I did this it's more just like this is really what happened in the divorce. And obviously you add a little HGH and steroids to it to make it funnier. Well, but that was, hot, that was like them. Chris Rock doing that special after his divorce. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the monkey, it's elephant in the room. People want to, people want to know. People yeah. Know what happened. Absolutely. And, and you handle it beautifully. And that's interesting. I'm going to go back and watch how carefully you choose your words. Yeah. Cause I never say she did this. I go, I read she wanted forty-four thousand dollars a month in alimony. Oh God, that I was just the whole, the whole show. It's like, <laughs> look, it's a little bird. <laughs> when I saw that, I went, "Oh, wow!" <laughs> my my thing is this: when somebody said well, she's asking for forty-four thousand, I said, "Look, this is America. You can ask for anything. Every movie I've gotten, I've asked for fifty million. I didn't get it, but I asked." If you don't ask, right. you never know. Because when you brought that up, I'm like, shit, he's doing well. Yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. You have three kids. Uh-huh. How old? Well, the oldest is my stepson. Um, so Emilio's 31 now. And, and Kennedy's 19. And then Austin's 21. Okay. So you're out, basically out of the teens. Yeah. How, because I know, I mean, again, I can speak from experience. How did they handle having a stepfather or a father that would go on stage and talk about the topics you do? Because um, I spent I think, a lot of my teen years horrified. I think my daughter sometimes takes it personal. Um, the oldest just doesn't watch. 
he goes, it's awkward, especially when I would talk about sleeping with his mom and stuff. Yeah, that's a little uncomfortable. Like, yeah, he goes, yeah, that's just awkward. I don't want to hear that. And then um, uh, now the also twenty one year old, if he wanted if he wanted to pursue it, he's got the gift. He's got the gift. He's funny. He's off the cuff. He's he's he went up a couple times in the past before me. It's on YouTube, and um, he just has it. If he wants to. If he ever wanted to pursue it, I mean, that's uh, that's his gift. I don't know what he's going to do with his life, but, but he, he could definitely go that route. It, You know from experience, it's so hard, and it's a grind, and it's constant rejection. You know, my parents with me were like, we're not going to encourage you to go into the entertainment business, but we'll be supportive. Right. How can you, with a straight face, say – Hey son, great idea. Um, I, I I mean I got the blueprint. I kind of know what it takes. And he's got a think about him if he ever really wanted to pursue it. He's got an end because he could just be my opener. <laughs> like you can easily get into this business, make some money, and go in front of a captive audience that's rooting for you. That's that's the advantage. If he wanted to pursue it, like you're gonna go in front of the audience that wants you to succeed. You're not gonna go in front of a bar or nightclub and no one who you are. Like we're gonna bring you up and set you up for success on the road. If you ever want to go that route, you know. It's a grind. It is, it's still a grind to this day. Like, you know, especially when you got someone wanting $44,000 a month in alimony and you're going, I don't want to be in Des Moines this weekend, but I have to. Yeah, it's a lot of dates. <laughs> it's a lot of dates. It's a lot of bad food yeah if you want to go there isn't it funny though the older you get in this business and somebody told me somebody told me i was in raleigh north carolina at the club and they said damon damon williams was there with damon jr and then damon had, had was there the week before me and he had left some of his his writer items in the green room so it was like pumpkin seeds seaweed it was a lot of healthy stuff right on my family <laughs> like 10 years ago and I go, what is this stuff? They go, this is left over from Damon. They go, now Damon Jr., he had the fried food, the candy, the hard liquor. And Damon said, said to him, he goes, just wait, just wait. You've been in this business long enough, your rider starts to turn. And that's the biggest thing about stand-ups. When you talk about bad eating, the older you get, the healthier our green rooms become. Yeah. I remember this. Man, I remember first time they, I got asked, what do you want? I go, are you? Are you shitting me right now? Anything I want? I was like, let me get some cookies. I remember I started with cookies. I was like, can I get some chips ahoy? And I'll see there's like chips ahoy in my dressing room. I go, you, you got I just asked for this and it's here. And then you start getting more and more items. And then the older you get, God. Now it's like coconut water. You know what I mean? It's just, my, I'm very clear with the water. Yeah. The I don't want the Sani. No, I uh, want the Fiji. Yeah. Or better yet, the, the Topo Chico. Yeah, that's my. How did you, did you see my writer? Did they send that to you? No, my mother used to get, and I remember this as a child, Fig Newtons and ready for this one, Blue Nun white wine. Blue Nun? Uh huh. Never heard of that. Exactly. It is what? the most. I mean, it, she thought, oh, I'll just get some Blue Nun. And it's like, it's almost like the white wine version of like Mad Dog or Boone Hill. Oh, you just get it at the gas station? 
I think you might have to go to like a 7-Eleven, not just like a quickie mart, but like a, you know, an actual place that doesn't sell gas as well. Yeah. <laughs> what do you have then, next? What do you mean? What are you doing next? I, I thought you meant what's next on your rider. No, well, what's see. next on your rider besides <laughs> Chips Ahoy and Topo Chico? Since yeah. we've determined well, that. Gone now. What? That's gone. Chips Ahoy. Yeah, so yeah. actual cookies from a bakery. So we're, well, we're going gluten-free oh, and Jesus. almost sugar-free at this point. You've become one of them. I'm just trying to live. When people say, why do you work out and why do you eat like? I go, to live. That's <laughs> the goal right now, to live longer. So what do I got? And then the, there was a, a guy, I, when I didn't think like a man, there's a guy named Romney Malco who's on um, Finer Little Things. He's on one of, the, uh, one of the TV shows right now. Great guy, great human being. He's so healthy because he's pushing 60 and he looks 30. Right. So every time I'm around him, I go, Ronnie, what should I be eating? What, what's now? What are we doing? And he's right every time. He, every time he tells me what to eat, I'm like, God, how do you know that? He's ahead of the game. He's literally, he should be the black version of the most interesting man in the world. Oh. If they switched it, it should be Romney because he knows everything about everything. So I just asked him. So if you're asking me what's next, professionally, I got, I got two films I've done. But I don't know when they're coming out. And you asked me about it before we came on the air. One's called Dottie and Soul. And that's got um, David Keckner, Leslie Uggams. It's, it's a good cast, Margot Bingham. And then the other one that I'm really excited about, not that I'm not excited about Dottie and Soul, is called Back on the Strip. And I'm excited about it because it's, it's all comedians. It's Tiffany Haddish, Kevin Hart, J.B. Smooth, Faison Love, Bill Bellamy. Um, uh, Wesley Snipes isn't a comedian, but he's in it. Um, it's just a funny cast and it's basically long story short is back in the day the Chippendales ran the biggest strip we were we were the chocolate chips we were off the strip <laughs> and through circumstances um, we were getting a band back together basically 25 years later <laughs> and everybody thought I was black when I used to strip because <laughs> I I had a mat a wrestling mask on and a spray tan and my stripper name was Dr. X <laughs> So they find me 25 years later, I'm a real doctor. And they're like, wait a minute, you're a real doctor? I go, that's how I paying through medical school. I got kicked out of Chippendales and I went over to the chocolate chips and just basically lied. So they find me 20 years, 25 years later. I was gonna say, Wesley Snipes actually is funny. He just doesn't know it. Oh, he's hysterical in this movie. He's so good. When, you, when you're working with a pro, you're like, oh, okay, that's a pro actor right there. Where can we find some of your tour dates? Website? Yeah. Um, GaryOwen.live is the website. And then all social media is at GaryOwenComedy. That's all my tour dates, everything's up there and stuff like that. Do you know I met your mom once and I didn't really meet her and I'm so upset that I didn't get a picture? It's one of those things where you don't want to bother people. So we did, we did um, Wendy Williams together and she went up right before me. And so our dressing room was right next to each other. And then I, you don't want to bother somebody before they're going on a talk show. Right. Especially a woman, because, you know, you guys got a lot more stuff going on, hair, makeup than guys do, outfit. I didn't want to bother. So then when I got off after my segment, she was already gone. And I was like, dang, I didn't get a chance to just tell her. Well, I can tell you, she would have loved this special. That was right up her alley. Oh, yeah. Good. Good. Gary, an absolute pleasure. No, thanks for having me. A Huda Media Production.